friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project and your host for this podcast. You guys, I recently had the pleasure of hosting two full storytelling days where women sat down with me and shared one absolutely stunning truth after another. They talked about their bodies, about beauty, about belonging, or often about not belonging to the world around them. They were brave and they were beautiful, and I am just overjoyed by the fact that I get to share all of this brave beauty with you. Next up in this round of interviews is Jenna. Jenna is a woman with a story about awakening. She gently weaves her narrative through a childhood marked by a body that was too much around an adolescence tightly wrapped up by insecurity, and then directly toward a place of healing and transformation. She talks about starving and binging, an obsession over every ounce of food that passed her lips. She unpacks her belief that the size of her body was directly proportionate to the amount of love she was worthy of receiving. She details the events that led to her healing with such crystal clear vision that it could make even the most cynical person believe that healing could be within their reach too. Which makes perfect sense to me because that's what Jenna does today. She invites people to be a part of the same space that is still healing her. And that's a pretty exceptional space to take up. There's plenty of room for all of us in that space. So drop in with me and let's listen to a little wisdom from our Jenna. Welcome, my friend Jenna. I met Jenna. Um, is it two? Not quite two years. I think it's only been a little over a year. Okay, it just yeah. feels like a really long year of my life. <laughs> it's not personal. No. <laughs> uh, Becky and I just celebrated our first anniversary, and we were. People ask us all the time, "Does it feel like only a year?" And we're both like, 10. Feels like ten. <laughs> and it doesn't actually mean anything about how much I love her. I think I felt. I've lived a lot of life in the last year, so it feels longer. Um, in a lot of good ways, I've lived a lot of life, so it's been just over a year. And I instantly felt connected to you um, at the at the gathering where we met, yeah. and we talked for a second about what you do professionally and about my thyroid, and you were like, you need to come see me. Yep, I remember that. But then we've just intersected, like, I don't know, a handful of other times over the course of the last year. And then a couple of weeks ago, you posted um, you posted a few pictures of yourself at different phases in your journey and in your process. And um, it struck me because we put a lot of stock in this culture. We put a lot of stock in before and after photos. Mm-hmm. There's so much like, you know, the transformation photos, the like... Uh, and it's usually from fat to thin. This is usually the transformation that we see for people. We put a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of moral value almost for people. Like, you know, there's like this, uh, look at how strong and strong-willed and motivated. And, you know, so we put a lot of stock in our transformation photos. I Yours stood out for me for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because your photos didn't follow a progression of fat to thin. In fact... Um, they went from the progression of super thin to this like glowing, fuller version of you. You know, mm-hmm. um, you almost never see transformation photos that that look like that. You know, and then you did this great job of sort of telling a little snippet of the story um, for each photo. So I messaged you and said, "Sit down and tell me that whole story. Mm, okay. I don't just want a photo and a <laughs> caption. Tell me that whole story." Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> How I usually start these is that I ask you to tell me about your body story from the perspective of the moment when you went, oh, my body is different, or it doesn't fit, or I want it to be different than it is. Mm-hmm. And we usually start there because that's usually a pretty early consciousness for people. Mm-hmm. The understanding that they're, um, I actually think it comes from a really normal place. It comes from a place of understanding I'm embodied and this person's embodied and as much as um, prior to that moment you kind of think everything's this mash of oneness which in some ways it is yeah. I'm also separate in my body right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think it comes from a normal 
place, but then culturally we grab it and we turn it into something different. So the stage is yours, my friend. When I first learned about my body or realized my body was different. So I was trying to think about this because I was listening um, to some of the other podcasts. And I don't know if I remember an exact moment Mm -hmm. per se that it was a realization. I do remember I had two cousins that I hung out with when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Both were very thin. Mm-hmm. And they always wore the cutest clothes from Limited to. That was the thing when I was young. And limited. Yes. <laughs> limited driving eating disorders since 1980. Yes. I love oh it. Oh my gosh. And so I remember um, looking at them and just knowing that I couldn't fit into their clothes. Actually, that was part of that. You know, looking at my cousins, mm-hmm. I couldn't fit into their clothes. And they always had these cute clothes on. And and I remember we'd go swimming, you know, in the summertime. And it's like, here's me. And I have this big pale belly hanging out of my bikini. And my cousins are just rail thin. And uh, that kind of started my comparison issue that I had and then I remember going into places like limited to or I remember shopping at JC Penney's with my mom and I would cry because I always had to go to the plus size section the kids plus size section which just put a whole you know I just think that sets kids up for a whole world of hurt when it comes to their bodies I too because... shopped there I know exactly what you're talking about yeah and and it was never like the actual quality of the clothing was never the same either like they'd have no. weird prints yeah. like because Suddenly my body's bigger, so obviously I should be, like, coated in floral, you yeah. know? <laughs> no, it was never as cute never. as the other clothes. Yeah. And color, the, even the color schemes were different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was really my first few memories of my body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and kind of learning about that, that I was different. So is it safe to say that from the beginning then, that experience of otherness or differentness was a shaming experience, not a belonging experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. It was always, it started this huge years and years of comparison that I was different and it was not in a good way. It was never good enough. Mm. It was, there was too much of me. Too much of that. Me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I talk about that a lot, too, how there's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have you ever, well, I don't want to get too far off the track here, but do you have the experience of there being too much of you and then simultaneously not enough? Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll talk about that later. Okay. <clears throat> because I want to hear other people's thinking on this, how we are able to like extract these two uh, sides of um, the same coin and apply them to our, their opposites, Absolutely. But yeah. we apply them to ourselves simultaneously and believe that the opposites are true at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're both dismissive and shaming. How do we do that? It's magical. It is quite magical. It's magical in like reverse. It's like dark yeah. magic thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this early experience of clothes not fitting and mm-hmm. shaming and uh, comparison. So tell me how that played out then. So that was an early experience. You're not sure about what age. But I would guess it was probably... Pre-puberty. Yes, okay. it was. All right. It was. And so then talk to me from there. Well, I do have to say this because I'm just, I like to be really vulnerable and weird about, but I remember um, fast forward, maybe I was 12 or 13 years old. I was a little late getting my cycle mm-hmm. and my cousins started to, you know, develop breasts and they started to get their curves. And I just was thinking about this last night that I used to stuff my shirts because I, yeah, because I always had this big belly, Yeah. but then I was completely flat chested oh, and I was yeah. just what are they, apple shape or whatever they call it, yeah. you know. And um, so that was my next kind of memory. And then just moving forward, you know, going into high school, you know, I was the girl that had the braces and, and I was heavy and I was always thinking about how to lose weight. I remember that. My my grandma actually used to cut out articles from the paper and mail them to me on how to lose weight. So oh God, yeah, knife. To my heart. Yeah. It was her best. But... It was, what she, yeah, it was <laughs> yep. all she knew how to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I talk about this too in the project often. Our shrinking stories, our starving narratives, they are handed on to us. Uh, they're passed down generationally. Mm-hmm. And so someone handed that to your grandma and uh, probably... Uh, and, I, and we've evolved co- uh, culturally quite a bit as far as relationship with the culture and women's bodies. We sure. have a long way to go. I mean, painfully long. <clears throat> but it was certainly worse in the 50s. You oh, know? absolutely. <clears throat> the expectation yeah. that a woman would be 
um, thin and quiet and follow the rules was like the definition of belonging. Yeah. She couldn't really step out of that. So she was telling what she was doing is she was giving you the code for how to belong. Yeah. That's true. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. It used to just frustrate me and I'd throw them away. Well, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> glad actually that you did throw them away. But in her head, it was like the secret password. Yeah. But, but this is how you can feel like you fit. Yeah. This is how you can feel better about yourself. Yep. Losing weight. Yep. I remember I, my mom was on Weight Watchers, so I would try to use her little points thing for yeah. myself. I would count my calories. I would use little... I remember she used to have slim fast drinks, so I'd sneak those in the morning. You know, I, I just did that for years, um, probably up until I think I was maybe 15 or 16. And that was actually the first time that I, I did make a serious effort to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And I did. I probably dropped 45 pounds mm-hmm. at that point in high school. And then I remember coming back to school. It was kind of over a summertime. And, you know, of course, then all the boys were, wow, you got hot. Yep. You know, it was this big deal. I got my braces off and I was feeling pretty good, you know, but I was, I was caring for myself. I was, I was walking and I was eating better portions and things like that, but it's still, I remember even at what I weighed, it still was not what the other girls looked like. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you employed some healthier measures to get there, mm-hmm. but it still wasn't enough. No, not at all. Not even close. Probably. Not even close. Cause you know, I wasn't a zero. Or a double zero. I remember they made double zeros at that time. Yeah, they still I think make that was them. It, yeah. And no, they still make them. What does my, that even mean? In the, I, like, I don't even have words. <laughs> you have no hip bones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And that's, you know, I don't want to shame somebody who is double zero. But right. I just, it was never, you know, even um, at my thinnest, I was just never even close to anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 15 or 16, you come back to school and mm-hmm. you've been deemed... Wow, you got hot. Mm-hmm. I had a similar experience my freshman year. I the summer of my eighth, between eighth grade and freshman year, I because um, I too was always chubby and my hair was frizzy and I had these horrible glasses that I'm not <laughs> sure. 1986 was real bad for eyewear. It was like sure. bad, just bad. Maybe it was 90. I don't know. It was bad. There was like a tortoise shell blue and black situation. It was just ugly. <laughs> um, so there were a lot of things that were unfortunate about that, but I. I too had gotten the, you know, the constant messaging. And so the only way that I could figure out how to drop weight though, was to just, I've always been extreme in that approach. Mm -hmm. So I didn't eat that summer. I mean, I remember like once my mom made me eat pizza because she hadn't seen me eat in a while. Like I had these flashbulb memories of that summer, Mm -hmm. but then I remember getting on the scale and it said 137 pounds. Like I remember what it said, 137 Mm -hmm. pounds. I remember the flashing red lights and the 137, I think that's the thinnest I've ever been in my adult body, mm-hmm. which I wasn't in an adult body yet. I had yeah. just gone through puberty. But anyway, um, and I remember coming to school and being ready for, like, the reveal, you know. And 137, incidentally, my friends were probably 110, 150, whatever. Oh, yeah. Know? So oh, it, was, yeah. it wasn't enough for nope, me, you no. know. Yeah. Um, but I remember getting there, and this one guy, he was like, oh, you look really good. And I was really excited and I put my stuff away and we're walking down the hall and he doesn't know that I'm still behind him and he's like, her thighs are still fat, but she looks really good, right? And I remember (sighs) just this like, the crushing, you know, like I knew it wasn't enough. You know, I knew it wasn't enough. So I can totally relate to that um, having gotten there, but then the whatever the destination was just moves. Yeah moves further absolutely yeah so what'd you do with that so the destination moved almost instantly so you're fairly healthy 15 16 mm-hmm. lost some weight maintained it for a while okay you know I um probably for the next until I was a senior in high school mm-hmm. I was the same roughly the same way I put, I put on five pounds it's funny because I remember I was 138 oh. and that was my my <laughs> number I remember it and so I probably was in the 140s or something like that and the boy that told me, wow, you got hot, I ended up dating him. Oh, mistake. Um, <laughs> and um, so, you know, it was all fine, whatever. And, you know, in between here, we have lots of times where I'm trying on dresses, trying on swimsuits. I don't like the shape of my body. It's thinner, but it's still, I always carried more weight around the midsection, and mm-hmm. I had flat boobs, and, you know, um, so there was a lot of crying and comparison all throughout, but I didn't really talk about it too much. 
The next thing I remember that was very blatant was um, I was dating this boy at the time. And I had um, gone to college, and I hadn't put on the weight yet, you know, mm-hmm. the freshman 15 or whatever, um, until the very end of the year. And um, I remember him sitting me down in his room and him saying that his best friend had told him that he was concerned because he had noticed that I had gained weight. And so then my boyfriend at the time was basically telling me that I needed to lose weight and talk about soul crushing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. What do you do with that? Tell me, if you don't mind, I mean, you told me that far. Do you, do you get angry? Do you get sad? Do you get shame? Like, do you, what do you do with that in that moment? I like to use the analogy, or it's not really an analogy, but I basically melted to the floor in a puddle of tears yeah. and shame of, wow, I am just not good enough at yeah. all. Yeah. Not at all. Where is he now? <laughs> like, right this second. I'm just oh. kidding. I mean, I'm not going to, like... We're not friends. Yeah. No. Uh, We're not friends. No. 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 <laughs> it was one of those, you know, we ended up breaking up. He broke up with me, and it was my big heartache in life, you know, but yep. just... Also, the beginning of understanding who I really was. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your boyfriend tells you that you need to lose weight because you put on the freshman 15, 20, whatever it mm-hmm. was. Because mm-hmm. we go away and we uh, exhale a little bit. And yeah. We exhale into a lot of things. Um, so what did you do after that? Okay. After the puddle. So after the puddle, so we dated. Well, I actually got really sick at that time. So funny that, you know. Anyway, something to talk about at a later time. But I was really sick, um, and it kind of started my my health process. So I was diagnosed with PCOS. Mm-hmm. I had an emergency kidney surgery. I ended up having to have a corrective surgery on my kidney. So I had a lot going on. I had stomach problems. So that was just kind of all happening at that time. Mm-hmm. So I ended up actually, after we broke up, I moved away. <laughs> I moved to New Hampshire. Mm. And... Um, when I moved, I kind of looked at that as a fresh start. I was away from my ex. I was away from that circle of people. Mm-hmm. And so my goal when I got out there was, okay, you're going to lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably sitting 170 mm-hmm. at this time, you know. And so that was just part of it, you know, bettering my life, right. go to the gym, start, you know, researching. I started to do a lot of research at that time on mm-hmm. weight loss and what was the right way to lose weight per se Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. which there's thousands of ways to lose weight out there and everyone has the best way and always um so because i'm an extreme human i um (laughs) took this to the extreme no i was working probably 60 hours a week i was probably 18 at the time after my 10 hour work days i would go to the gym for two hours and lift and do cardio and that was my life and then I would go hang out with people um and I did everything from counting my calories to um barely eating I mean I remember I'd be so hungry at work and I would just do water 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 more water Mm -hmm. you know oh water keeps you full you know and then I would be able to reward myself with having you know a protein bar and then two three more hours of extreme hunger yeah yeah water water and then you know a banana with a little bit of peanut butter not too much because that's too much fat you know Mm -hmm. so that was kind of my life at that time so at that point um to get to the body your entire life circles what you put into your body and how many calories you're burning yes it became everything to me Mm -hmm. well it when you restrict yourself that much Mm -hmm. um you can't, I mean, developed a fear, you know, a fear of socializing. I couldn't go just be normal at a party and, and have a, maybe a handful of chips because, oh, no, 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 that, that I'll gain a pound, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, have this cookie and you eat two bites of it and then you just internally shame yourself. I mean, that's what I was doing. It was just like, why would you do that? You know that you have to stay thin. And so it really put a damper on every aspect of my life mm-hmm. at that time. Is it safe to say that your relationship with food was a bit fucked up? Oh, it was totally fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was, yeah. Did you ever have an experience um, prior, I know you're, see, so I kind of know how this story ends, so I have mm-hmm. to, I'm trying to like not feed that part, you know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to let us move through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you 
did you ever have an experience where you felt um, like food was a safe, like that it was a that the relationship was safe and you could access it to nourish you, and that no. there was a trusting relationship no. with food? None at all. No. Was it always something to be like controlled and yes, measured, measured, controlled? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's funny again is at this time I'm not having a period, maybe one a year. I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm yeah. having to take laxative once a week and I'm crying because I can't go to the bathroom. I'm tired a lot. I started drinking at the time too, yep. which I don't know how that fit in my fitness regimen. You know, it was like, well, I'll just work out a lot harder. And I just got extremely sick. So, but that was never my priority. It was never that I'm a very, you know, kind of sickly human dealing with all these symptoms. It's my weight. Right. It's always the forefront. Right. Because the rest could be sacrificed on the altar of the thin body. Yes. None of the rest of it really mattered. It did not at the time, no. No, and it's funny. So many women that I sit and talk to, they talk about the correlation of the extreme behavior with eating and movement. And then they often will um, be like, oh, and I started drinking heavily then too. (laughs) I think part of it is, you know, so the relationship, as I start to um, undo my own uh, narrative and the messaging that I've bought, so much of that has surrounded a really unhealthy relationship with food, similar, something to be mm-hmm. controlled and restricted and mm-hmm. kept over. I couldn't possibly look at it as something that was nourishing or, God forbid, um, brought some sense of pleasure. And the truth is that food intentionally brings pleasure, so we want to eat. It's There's yeah. there's a biochemical response. Oh, yeah. That, and it does produce serotonin mm-hmm. <laughs> because... It, because your body wants to live, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it does want to do its best for us. Yes. And it, it wants to exist. So the fact that I think that and when we're all walking around starving, we move to drinking. Well, drinking produces dopamine, and we're probably pretty desperate to feel something other that, like, we, we have this total absence of these neuro chemicals in our brain and so we're like well mm-hmm. let's just dump some booze in there we'll get a good dopamine hit real fast yeah. oh yeah I'll feel happy and I will I'll forget that I'm starving for a while yeah yeah and I'll fit in totally. that was my other you know I wanted yeah. I moved out there I wanted to find new friends I wanted to fit in I wanted to be liked I wanted to be enough mm-hmm. you know so that was part of a drinking for me too yeah, yeah. the belonging mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Well, you and I talk about that a lot. About oh yeah, the current. I mean, it's still that's currently always on my radar about how driven we are to belong and how much culturally there's just this there's still just this emphasis on belonging and doing it at a bar over a happy hour and oh, flights yes. of beer. And, but it's just a bottle of wine, you know, all the things that we always talk about. Sure, that is a different conversation though. So yes. you are. Your entire life is um, <clears throat> circling what you put into your body. Yes. it's um, My Instagram is filled with tons of different fitness people because everyone is a fitness guru on Instagram. Yes. And they awesome. all start their own business on Instagram Yes, because they lost so many pounds and now they're experts on everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would constantly look at it. Mm-hmm. That was my free time looking at Instagram. I was, um, you know, restricting food. Um I was working out too much, drinking too much, and I ended up coming home. So for the weekend, um, this was maybe later in the year. You know, I had been gone for six, eight months. I hadn't seen any family, so I'm going to come home, be in a wedding. So I remember, you know, coming home, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, you look so thin!" Well, you get all the praise, and um, because that's what we do, we 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 reinforce, we praise the thin, we praise thin, regardless of how anybody got there. Have you ever had the experience? I've had the experience of watching someone compliment someone for losing weight, and the person has looked at them and said, "I have cancer, and I've." I've had chemo for the last six months because that just is so, it just illustrates so perfectly that we are so blind to any other objective besides a thin body. Like, oh, it's such, yeah, it's, it's bullshit. Correct. That's, you can't call it anything else. Total bullshit. So Um, you come home and you get all the praise, all the behavior, then instantly gets reinforced. Yes. Um, but also I'm coming home and... Well, there's no whiteies in New Hampshire. There's no Jim's Rib Haven in New Hampshire. There's oh, no, yeah. you know, mom's not cooking in New Hampshire. So it's treat weekend. Sure. Okay, so that was another pivotal point for me. So we treat ourselves, and then I was just eating all the food because it was amazing. We know we have amazing food around here. Um, time to go home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, get home. 
it flips. So that weekend flipped my mental switch. My body was done letting Mm -hmm. me restrict. Mm -hmm. And I switched to the binging lifestyle. Sure. So, you know, I lost, I think I lost actually 20 pounds in let's say six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was keeping it off. Okay. This starts my four months of gaining 40 pounds Mm. because I was eating everything. I was drinking and eating all the time. Mm. I would, um, let's see, I would go, I worked at a restaurant, so I worked at a bar, so that didn't really help, you know, when I would eat restaurant food and I would have dinner with my friends and everything, we'd all eat together. And then I would go home Mm -hmm. and I had food in my bedroom. I had things like Pop-Tarts. I have Reese's peanut butter cups. I had Snickers. I had, you know, all these things that, you know, when I was restricting, oh, it's okay because I'll eat one. Mm -hmm. And then it was, oh my God, I have a whole bag of them here. And I would eat the whole bag Mm -hmm. and make myself physically sick I never threw up never did anything like that I just ate all the food and it, uh, binge any binge eating disorder comes from the exact same mental construct that restriction comes from it's still yes. a contr- it is still a control thing yes it's just the other side of the coin it is um, and I think you said something really important it's in, in lots of ways it's your body's response to having been starved for nutrients it's your body your body goes Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're done here. Yeah, I don't know what you just thought you were doing, but I'm really hungry. Yeah. And and really, you know, to your point, you know, reindulging in some of those fatty foods and things, your body probably did go, oh, I forgot. That's That is so good. That's so good. That's what I've been craving. Yeah. And all the restricting does um, damaging things to our metabolism too. So that's when we flood ourselves... It's just, it is cyclical. It is. is It was horrible. I remember, you know, going through that and I would just cry Mm -hmm. because I knew I was gaining weight, but I really couldn't do anything to stop it. Mm -hmm. I tried to weigh out my food. I tried to count my macronutrients, which is a big thing right now. Everyone that competes, you know, count every single gram of fat, every single gram of protein, every single gram of carbs that I was eating. And my stomach got really bad at this time, too. Remember that? Because everyone said, oh, eat this much protein. Eat all the protein. I was all having the protein. horrible stomach aches, yeah. mm-hmm. trying to restrict, and then continuing to binge because my body was just – it was done. It was done being restricted. Yep. And I was just an emotional wreck because I thought, you know, a lot of this stemmed from wanting to be loved. You know, just I was – okay, why don't the boys talk to me? Why, you know – I was thin and now I know for a fact that I'm not going to be talked to because I know I'm gaining weight and boys don't like that. Mm. You know, so that was just a really bad time. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting to my heaviest at that time, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and just kept eating. I just, I got to a point I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to sit down and have a normal meal Mm -hmm. because I knew that when I would leave my meals that I was hanging out with with my friends I would go home and I would eat again Mm -hmm. and they didn't know that sure so still so super permissive place technically but super unhealthy relationship I mean it's because the oh because ultimately the way that we engage with food is relational it is uh it is definitely a relationship so still no trust or nourishment there just um fill me really is what it sounds Mm -hmm. like I never throughout my whole time of comparison everything I never ever trusted my body Mm. you know even when I moved so I ended up moving home because I was just a wreck at that time you know I just okay it's time to come home and then I actually decided to try a holistic approach to work on things like my PCOS and my stomach so I started taking some supplements, and I remember one of my first goals that she started working with me on was, okay, let's teach you how to eat again. You mm-hmm. lost that bell that tells you that you're full, so yep. we, we want to work on getting that back. Mm-hmm. And that was just my first goal. Hey, also, can you not have dessert every single night of the week? Can we go one night a week without dessert? Mm-hmm. I had to start very, very slow. Mm-hmm. You know, I quit working out. And I know I knew at this time that I wanted to do it the right way, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I had spun myself into this web of just restriction and emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of started my um, 
pathway into, I guess, health, what you would say. Mm-hmm. But that being said, weight was still a lot of my motivation. Isn't it funny? And yeah, you know, sometimes I have to remember that um, what brings us to, you know, to the door, what puts us, what gets us in the door can be good for that alone, you know, and just go, okay, it's all right that that's what got me in there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know for sure that isn't where you landed. No, I, um, that was four years ago, I mm-hmm. think that I started all that. And I did learn, you know, I learned balance at sure. the time for mm-hmm. myself, which was I wasn't eating all the food all the time. I, I still wasn't working out. I told myself I would never work out again until I was ready mm-hmm. and felt that my body was ready because I did. I was so afraid of getting back into that cycle. I get that. I'm currently like uh, a couple of things have been extended to me, and I have to check them out internally to make sure that I'm not going. Uh, I can take anything. I can take any approach you give me, even a super holistic one, and I can turn it mentally into a, a diet mentality. I mm-hmm. I can grab onto it and make it about weight mm-hmm. and about us about having a smaller physical presence. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I have to take everything and weigh it. Ha, 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 weigh it. I didn't mean yeah. to do that. And consider whether or not um, I'm at the place that it's almost like uh, I extend privilege to my children at times based on where they're like how they're demonstrating them their maturity. Sure. When it comes to these things for me, I mm-hmm. have to, I it's like I have to do it to myself. Like. Yeah. No, I really don't want to go to the high-intensity interval training class because I'm fairly certain what will happen is I'll be there every day for the next six months, probably injure myself because that is my tendency to grab on and go, wait a minute, I can control this. Let me just control it. Let me just control it, right? So you have – so you start down this path of – really what you're talking about is behavior modification. Yes. Um, You know, the small incremental goals – Yes. That had to do more with being well as opposed to being thin. Yes. But in the beginning, even though you were kind of acknowledging that this was partially about you being uh, well, you were still hanging on to the, but I'll get thinner too. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, motivation, right? Right. Yeah. Right. But I know, like looking back, like you said, it's not something I would shame myself for because it still put me in the place where I'm at today. It was still the beginning of... Yep my path to actually being a healthy human versus a thin human. Mm -hmm. And I look at them completely different now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas before that was one and the same. And it was a very safe way to break that cyclical behavior behavior because I know, you know, people deal with that for years. Mm -hmm. People that can really never get out of a binge habit or they have to go on medication for that or, you know, and I'm thankful, you know, looking back, I didn't realize the, um, magnitude of what I had done to myself because I was never diagnosed I never really told a lot of people about that so just now looking at where I was I realized that it was pretty severe so I'm thankful that I came to a safe place to kind of very slowly start to work on things that would be sustainable for me Mm -hmm. I wanted something that I could stick with I didn't want to diet at this point Mm -hmm. you know so tired of dieting and counting things I thought oh my god all these people that compete they weigh their food this is not life. What is this? That's what I thought. I don't even, I can't physically live this way for the rest of my life. No, because it becomes your life. I mean, it's your, it is. It is your everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have done that. In fact, I don't, do you ever have the experience? So you talked about Weight Watchers. Uh I have so many things to say about Weight Watchers, but um, one of the things I have to say, do do you know that they just launched a campaign um, in the last two months uh, about offering no enrollment fees for kids? They're going to yeah. enroll their kids enroll kids yeah. for free because we should probably teach them how to count points when they're 10. Yep. Let's not teach them body trust. Nope. Let's not teach them about hunger and being satiated and about the fact that food is nourishing and sometimes food can be pleasurable. And teach, Let's not teach them that. Let's teach them that there are four points in a banana Yep. because that's really important. So we live in this culture of force. Mm-hmm. We have to force everything. Mm-hmm. We have to, if we feel that we're not enough, we have to force ourselves to be more. Yeah. If we feel that we're too much, we have to force ourselves to be less. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we will inevitably teach our children that unless people can kind of grasp a hold of that. That was something for me that I just probably learned in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. even though I've been on a health journey for about four years now, is that, oh, I can thank my body. Yeah. Somebody said, why don't you just, just try to thank your body? Because, yeah. you know, I'm in the midst of dealing with losing weight, but also still being in a lot of physical pain from my ailments um, and being frustrated with that. But somebody told me that one day, just thank your body for what it's done for you despite what you've done to it. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at it that way. That's I always, so you know, looked at my body. This is my body's an enemy. It's yep. not what I want it to be. Yep. So I'm going to make it something that is acceptable and it's acceptable to me and then it will be acceptable to other people. And then maybe I'll be loved in that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that really shifted a lot for me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of started to practice that. Okay, thank you, body, for existing still (laughs) in the midst of all the binge drinking and the binge eating and the heavy restriction. Thank you for still being here for me. Yeah. Because, you know, we think, like you talked about, before we come into this world and when we're young, we understand that we're kind of all one. Mm -hmm. And then we get this very separate mentality and we believe that we are our body. Yes. And our body defines us. You know, it, it, we are one. Um, but when I started to thank my body and talk to it, I kind of, for the first time, also understood that I'm not my body. Yeah. I just live in my body. Yeah, there's a relationship between self and body. I totally love that. Yes, mm-hmm. and when you start to treat it like an object, um, in a good way. Like, it's it's not, uh, it isn't something, something to be manipulated or controlled. No. Like any other relationship is not meant to be manipulated and controlled. It's mm-hmm. one in which you can build trust and you can build some love. And you start absolutely, I think that's genius and a really important point for our audience, that to start something as simple as find something to thank it for. And for me, it was I was a similar, I had a similar awakening where I was like, I have I was thinking about it relationally. If I were in any relationship where I had consistently sent messages that um, that you're not to be trusted and that you need to be controlled and moved around in ways that were painful. Uh, what? Would I still be in the relationship? Probably not, right? <laughs> but my body can't go anywhere. It just keeps showing up. Like someday you might hear me, you know? Yeah. It required, for me, it required that it's, it had to scream. There was not a lot of whispering left, yeah. you know? Because I think in the beginning it starts with a whisper, like, hey, no, remember? You know, we're okay. Like, I'm. This, it's the same body that made me really capable of hanging on a basketball court with boys because it's always been strong and, and capable, you know, and it's done a ton of amazing things. Sustained me when I had no interest in it sustaining me. It sounds like you have a similar experience that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't listen well, so my body really had to scream at me mm-hmm. um, to really listen to it. But I've also learned, you know, over uh, these last couple years, really, even more recently, is just that because I ended up losing weight, right, on this health journey, but then I was still probably about 160, 165 mm-hmm. right in there. So I was thinner than I was, mm-hmm. but I was still not what people would consider ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a society would consider ideal, we'll say. Um, what guys consider ideal? I just have to throw that in there. Dating guys of this younger generation. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of had to, at that point, come to an acceptance of it mm-hmm. because I wasn't moving. My weight just wasn't moving. It was I was there. And I was probably at that place for about five years. But I, you know, at that time, um, I learned some valuable things. Another one just being that our bodies are never wrong. Mm-hmm. We just have such an inherent belief that our bodies um, betray us, mm-hmm. I think, when we're not the weight we think we should be or what other people tell us. You know, my body has betrayed me. Yes. Um, totally. I see a lot of very sick people come into my office. Very sick. Oh, I've got this disease and I've got this and this and this and this. Okay, so what is your intention to be here? What's your goal? Well, I'd like to lose weight. weight and I'm having trouble with it. And I'm thinking, Okay. <laughs> Perspective, right? It's all about perspective. We ignore everything else our bodies are saying. 
we don't honor our bodies we don't trust our bodies you know and and our bodies feel that so mm-hmm. I also learned that if you tell yourself oh I just I hate you Jenna I hate your this body it's so ugly it actually changes your cellular structure your body mm-hmm. responds to every thought you have mm-hmm. So, which is why probably when we tell ourselves that we love our, you know, our body and that we're thankful for it, it really, you feel a little bit lighter because yep. your body has responded to that thought. Yep. So I started to become more aware of, of those kinds of things, thanking my body, just loving on it more, you know, trying to find balance for it. And then I just got to this point of, you know, realizing that so much of this is bullshit. It is just, you know, and then I got on this soapbox of, oh my God, I've spent years and years and years and years fighting this weight issue, Mm -hmm. letting it define who I was. Mm -hmm. I literally thought that it was what was wrong with me as to why I couldn't find love. I mean, I really, we equate it to everything. Our weight is who we are. Yes. And we teach that to our girls. I see it happening right now. I have little sisters that are teenagers and my sister's probably a size four She's like, oh my God, my thighs are so fat. I got to go run on the treadmill. And that just like breaks my heart to know that we have this world where nobody's vulnerable. Nobody just accepts where they're at. Well, we've also, we have co-opted, we've done a thing and I'm not quite sure. I, I, you know, I'm starting to like dive into um, some of the seeds of this. So the research is new to me and so I don't want to get too deep underneath it. Um, but we've turned uh, fat and thin into more virtue. We've we've attributed virtue to these two mm-hmm. uh, descriptors, mm-hmm. right? So I just talked about this earlier today too about um, that culturally fat comes with a uh, it it's not a descriptor. It co- it comes with a list of things that people would attribute to a person's character. Things mm-hmm. like. I mean, the first, tell me the first word that comes to mind after people say that person's fat, they're also lazy. lazy. Mm-hmm. We have done such a great, well, not we. There's a multi-billion dollar diet industry, actually, that works real hard to keep people in a cycle, uh, similar to the one you described today, because there is scientific research that supports what happens metabolically when you diet or restrict and your ability, and it's rebound weight after that. There's, I mean, it's... This isn't uh, this isn't existing in an absence of evidence. There's significant evidence to prove that any diet or restriction um, fails 95% of the time over the course of 24 months. All of them. So, but we keep going back to the well, right? Yeah. And it's a multi-billion-dollar diet industry that keeps us. I'm confident because we're surrounded by the messaging, right? Oh, because wow. what would happen if what if, what would happen if fat were just a descriptor? And you and I talk about this sometimes too. It can it's an indication of other things, but none of them have a damn thing to do with my moral character. No. Or who I am as a human being. Yeah. Not not nothing. Not at all. Nobody well, first off, a couple things to say about that one. Our body's always at the weight that it wants to be. Yep. So if we are somebody who is really trying to lose weight by eating real whole food, yep. okay, taking care of ourselves, let's say we've got a good balance going and we're still not losing weight, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. The body is never wrong. So when we try to diet, so we force our body to be somewhere, it's never going to sustain because our body will ultimately revert back to the weight that it needs to be at. Mm-hmm. So, so something like sustainable weight loss looks like, number one, we might not ever be the number that we think we should be because mm-hmm. that's not what our body wants. And two, it's more just about taking care of yourself. Right. You know, if you take care of your body, it will balance itself out. Right. And then, Or it won't. And then letting it... Let the outcome go. Like okay, so yeah. there's this great, there's this great, um, like rule or maxim or teaching in yoga that says you're responsible for your work, but not the fruit of your work. Mm-hmm. It's freaking genius. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. I'm responsible for the thing I do, right? Like I need to engage in that, but the outcome of it, I, I just need to keep showing up and doing, do, and doing those things. I'm responsible for the work, but what happens on the other side? I, I don't know how much of that I can control. And on the flip side, nobody wants to take responsibility for actually understanding that the cyclical obsession with weight mm-hmm. is what gets their bodies sick totally. in the first place. Totally. 
Totally. No, I latched onto it as the cyclical thing with weight. For me, I latched onto it as an indication of my virtue. It was, it was the thing that kept proving to people that in spite of the fact that I'm fat, I'm still trying. I'm not that fat person. Yeah, you're not the one that just lazy. isn't doing anything. Yeah, not yeah. lazy. And then that then redeemed me, right? Because, which is all so batshit crazy. The whole thing I just said. I know. It's so nuts. And you're right, it's all bullshit. It is all bullshit to keep us distracted. I'm at the point that now that I'm just like, it's just a distraction. Oh, yeah. I even put on, I was putting on makeup today and... I went through a time of not wearing any makeup because I thought, also bullshit, okay? Just saying that too, you know, poisoning ourselves for the sake of beauty. Um, but nobody nobody cares about what's in their heart. Nobody wants to look at somebody and just say, okay, so who are you? Yeah. What is your heart? Who are you truly? We only look at what we see. I kind of think we do that to people because nobody wants to look at what they carry in their own heart. Mm. Sure. You know, if I look at somebody and I can judge them, you know, I'm, I'm not going to look at the fact that I'm a judgmental asshole. It, at you least know? I'm not that person. Yeah, It exactly. doesn't matter what the that is. Yeah. So I think that, you know... I don't know the answer to fixing all of it, but I just know in all these years of struggle, kind of come to this place of, okay, you know, I am just, I'm me. That's okay. That's not too much. That's not, not enough. You know, there's a lot of love that had to be given to myself because I think that love heals a lot of those things, those predispositions that we have of who we should be. So how did you start to access that place of, um, I, I can tell by the way you talk about the too much, not enough, that you haven't arrived at a place of like total resolution about that. I think there's probably still some days, oh hours, God. minutes where you're like, oh, too much, not enough, too much, not enough. And I um, get that. I'm able to see it probably, and maybe I'm just trying to project it, but I can for freaking sure relate. I have to work through um, anytime there's like a moment where somebody perceives me as less than like, super virtuous or capable I have to work through this oh my god I'm not enough I'm not enough what yeah. what is that what is yeah. that it's like knee-jerk crazy town yeah I don't think um well I always you know everyone says we just don't we don't want to arrive we want to enjoy the journey and I'm always thinking well, that's bullshit because I want to arrive you know I never want to enjoy the journey <laughs> let me arrive please but um I don't think it's something to ever arrive at yeah. because on some level you'll find another once you think you have it all good then you have this other uh, aspect of your character that someone calls on that they don't think is okay mm-hmm. you know and then it puts you into the okay is it too much or is it not enough so do I think I've come to this point of a lot more balance yes but is it gone is my weight struggle gone no it's not gone mm-hmm. um, you know I was just in the hospital earlier this week and I um, was telling my boyfriend, I was just telling him a couple days ago, you know, I'm recovering, right? And I had a very serious thing happen. And um, so I've got this, I call it like a postpartum belly. I was not pregnant, but I've, I'm all bloated and everything, right? I'm, I'm, my weight's up. I, you, it looks, it's very visible. You can see that I'm very bloated. And I was just telling him, man, I just wish I could be your hot girlfriend. And he was like, why are you talking to me like that? You're more beautiful when you're... Mm-hmm. you know, right where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. I think you're beautiful no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, even in that, I had a little bit of a, yeah. well, my body doesn't look like mm-hmm. what I wanted to, never mind the fact that it might be healing from internal bleeding. You know, that's that's <laughs> not, not relevant, you know? <laughs> what kind of excuse is that? <laughs> so there's always aspects to it. Yeah, If you can... I think the first step is just awareness. You know, at least I'm aware that I'm thinking those things and then I can kind of check myself. Okay, that's that's ridiculous. Come on now. I think as we move through that, you know, I think that the I try to recognize for myself, I try to recognize places of progress. Like if mm-hmm. I realize that I'm not I'm not walking by every reflective surface and looking at my body and judging it. Maybe not everyone, maybe every third. But I'm not, I'm like consciously going, oh, there's a reflective surface. I'm not going to turn my head and judge myself. Like yeah. that's a big deal for it's me. a huge deal. And uh, I don't think that I'm alone in that. So I think we have to be able to find those smaller places of victory. 
and not even victory, just understanding and, and seeing that there is um, movement for us. It's not, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that, I don't know if that root narrative is something that you can actually completely undo. In fact, I'm fairly certain that all you can really do is write a different ending. I'm not sure you can rewrite it. I think you can write a different ending. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful, actually, mm-hmm. that that's exactly what we can do. That's why this project is important to me. Can we write a different ending? Yeah, that's why I love it too. You know, you just, after going through those things and all of the yuck that society mm-hmm. presents us, all the shoulds that we get, we should be this, we should be that at the end of the day, when you um, learn for yourself that your body loves you, you know, that it probably loves you way more than you've ever loved it, mm-hmm. and that we're meant to have a good life, and that we are enough, we're not too much, you know, that whole thing. You just, you want other people to know that too, that it's okay. Whoever they are right in that moment, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't ever have to be anything different to be okay. What if we all lived that way? Mm-hmm. Imagine what's possible that way. Jenna, girl, did we forget anything burning oh, for I'm the sure. sake of the people? Uh, I think we hit quite a few things. Okay. Probably a lot to think about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. All right, friends, that's it for our chat with Jenna. I just adore this woman. I adore that she has found gentle, loving ways to take off the protective layers that she built around herself. I adore the wisdom that she's unearthed in that process. And I am so grateful that she is walking around in her life, inviting women to trust the bodies that they're in to give them exactly what they need, precisely when they need it. I am completely convinced that radical body trust is a clear path to freedom. And it's pretty awesome when I get to spend a little time with someone who is preaching that same truth. I hope that you found something for yourself in her words as well. And I've got great news. There's plenty more where this came from. Over the next several weeks, I will be producing more interviews with women like Jenna, brave, beautiful women who are willing to tell the truth about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging. If you want to get in on all of that, then make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about The Beautiful Project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.